What up, guys? Welcome to the Raising Worth podcast. Raising Worth is a family and an organization who advocates for healthy and connected families. We believe connection takes place when we truly understand the value of one another. A major focus of our mission is connecting families with the heart to adopt with the right resources. So you know the drill. We're here to highlight, uncover, and talk about people, places, and things all raising worth in their community. It could feel random at times. We'll have people on the show from all walks of life. It could be from Bitcoin to adoption and anywhere in between. Thank you so much for being here because we know you could be anywhere in the world right now. Okay, we are so excited today because we have an amazing, amazing woman named Michelle that is joining us for this podcast. And if you are just tuning in, um, what we do is um, we are doing a full, well, how would you say it, babe? A, um, a collaboration of guests that is going to kind of dig into our ad- Adoption Fears PDF. And so we met Michelle through email, original Instagram, and then email. And then we had a conversation with her last week. And after we hung up, Zach and I were like, we got to get Michelle on the podcast because she has so much experience with adoption yeah. um, and just kind of, um, you know, counseling perspective, how to do adoption well, all these different yeah. things. Yeah. So it looks like we looked on your website, Michelle. Michelle has a MS in human development and family studies as well as um, a certification with TBRI. So she's actually a TBRI educator. So we just thought, you know, after having a, a phone call with her, how much value she could bring to the adoption community and just to anybody who's listening to our podcast. So we're really excited to dive into that with, uh, with Michelle here. So yes. Michelle, welcome and, and thank you so much. <laughs> Such kind words. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So Michelle, to get started, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and how adoption has played a part in your story? Sure. Um, so my, I grew up in a home with foster and adoptive siblings. Uh, we had foster siblings from the time I was little until, um, boy, I think it was almost high school. And the earliest memory I actually have is when my foster sister who became my adopted sister arrived and um you know we had a variety of it was the 70s so there were a lot of different rules as far as foster foster care goes and i had um some kids stayed with us for up to six years and would jump back and forth between their family and us and um I remember one little girl who stayed one night and that's when I learned the word kleptomaniac. Um, (laughs) My mom explained that word to me. Um, So, but my sister came to us at 11 months old and she is really the earliest memory I really have. And um, as far as I was, I was the oldest. And as far as I was concerned, she arrived the same way my other siblings did in a car. It just was the social worker's car, not my mom's car. So um, to me, in my head as a sibling, she was always there. Um, and what I saw from foster siblings and my sister is there was a variety of what we might say of life outcomes. <laughs> um, and I went on to study child development and um, always had this nagging question, like what happened to my sister? Because as far as, as the professional term of life outcomes, things weren't very good for her. And her trauma was really lived her whole life. And that um, lie of neglect to her soul of I'm not worth it is what she really lived out. So uh, I went on and got a master's, like you said, in child human development and 
gosh, it was eight to 10 years ago that I was sitting in a church of 2000 people and about 30 foster and adoptive families. And I went, oh my, because my parents have been told that uh, love, a good education and a church community would be enough to make everything better. And that's not what I saw. And I saw in the church that I grew up in that things were needed to be hush hush and we didn't talk about what was going on. And that made a lot of stress in that true community. And I looked around and hoped that we could do something different. And I had a friend at that point who had adopted. And as I came alongside her, she introduced me to trust-based relational intervention or TBRI. And um, it fit, it fit with what I believed about hope and healing. And it fit with what I had learned about child development. And as I dug into it, it made sense. And I was privileged enough that the families at my church sent me to Texas Christian University to become a TBRI educator and then um, have continued in that work. And um, we, we started a ministry at that church. And then um, later when those families needed a different type of support than, a, than the training and things I was providing um, other families, um, I began serving outside the church and it became Hopeful Connections Parenting. That's awesome. And that is your um, current business? Correct. And that's my business is Hopeful Connections Parenting. And my website is hopeparenting.com. Okay. So will you explain to someone listening, you mentioned TBRI. We mentioned that from the very beginning, um, trust-based relational intervention. For someone who knows nothing, they're just listening to this episode for the first time. They're just learning about adoption. Will you give us a very layman's term clear understanding of what that is? Sure. It's a model that helps caregivers um, provide support for their at-risk children. Kids who come to us through adoption and foster are um, have hurts, relational hurts. Uh, you didn't, without some type of loss or risk factor for trauma, they, they wouldn't be in our homes. Um, so TBRI has been used in orphanages and courts and residential treatment facilities group homes, foster adoptive homes, church ministry, um, schools, and, and I've gotten to do some training with foster parents and adoptive parents and then variety of organizations, including schools in, the, in our area. And then, um, you know, it really, TBR really looks at three things. It looks at connection. So it's really attachment theory and how we connect to children. It looks like at empowerment, which is looking at the internal and external factors in the, their um, internal and external conditions in the child, like what's going on inside their body and then around them, and how we can give them tools to handle those things and understand those things. And then it looks at correction, and it's more trauma responsive and developmental. And so I love looking at those three things, connection, empowerment, and correction, and helping parents learn how they, how to respond to their own kiddos with those elements in it. Yeah, that's powerful. Um, one of the things I wanted to circle back around to, it was something you said that stuck out to me. You said love and a good education wasn't enough. And I think there's a, a real notion of that, you know, um, you know, out there, you hear that, that phrase a lot. All they need is love and a good education when referring to maybe, you know, kids are being fostered or adopted. Can you, can you unpack that a little bit and mm -hmm. how, you know, that related to you and, and what you mean by that? 
Sure. Um, so when we have kids who come into our homes and um, have trauma, whether or or risk factors, and we can talk about those in a minute. But when we have those risk factors, they're coming into our home with this relational harm. And so my sister didn't experience love in the same way I did because she always had. Um, her guard up as if there was a bear in the room. She, she really lived her whole life as if there was a bear in the room. So um, you guys can help me with this. Think of the responses. I can't remember if we talked about this last week, but think of the responses you might have if you ran into a bear in the woods. Instantly on defense, maybe yeah. you freeze. Fight or flight. Right. Yeah. What would happen to your heart? Adrenaline rush, heart Through rate increases. Yeah, your your hands sweat, your eyes dilate, your muscles tense. Um, do you have control over any of that? Maybe maybe some people who have had a lot of training might have control whether they run or not. Maybe a yeah. Navy SEAL. I was going to yeah, say, besides not- like uh, Green Beret, <laughs> no, I personally don't have Well, yeah, very little control. I don't have any. I did come across someone who said, yeah, I grew up in Alaska. We trained for this in school. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but my example is that, that that response is a is a um, the way we were designed to respond to keep us alive, mm-hmm. and children who have had to be in that place of of a predator or or even lower that down risk factors of trauma are living often like there's a bear in the room, and so until we can calm their bodies down, until we can look at those inside and outside things, until there's attachment where we learn how to, where we teach babies how to calm is through attachment and, and modeling that and where we have correction that is responsive to their needs instead of their behaviors. Um, it is hard to bring healing to a kiddo without that. Yeah, that makes sense. And I really say that a lot. We need to look at the need behind the behavior rather than just the behavior. And I really think that's, yeah. Grace parenting, right? That's yeah. parenting with an understanding. Yeah. So would you say, um, you said you wanted to kind of unpack risk factors. Will you share a little bit about like, what, what do you mean by risk factors? All right. So when we, when we talk about um, kids who are at risk or have trauma in their background in TBRI, we're talking about kids who have, um, the parent has had a difficult pregnancy a difficult birth, early medical experiences, abuse, neglect, or a traumatic, a single traumatic event. And I would even, for some kids, that might end up being the season we're living through right now with the virus, depending on how things are unfolding in their home. Um, but what's interesting is, is I really think TBRI offers us something for looking at any child in parenting and and not just the trauma kiddo Uh, and the reason i say that is because um we the pregnancy difficult birth and medical experiences are actually not something we always can control Um, my first pregnancy was an exciting season of finishing graduate school i had a um, my publication for my thesis was six weeks after his due date Um, We moved, I think it was probably four times. All we had was a motorcycle and a two-seater car, so we needed to buy a car. 
we move states. So I could keep going, but the list is a lot of exciting, good things that we wanted, but that's a lot of cortisol in that baby's brain. Yeah. And that cortisol impacted the way his brain was wired. And I so wish someone had said that at the beginning, your kid isn't fussy because of the way you're parenting. Your kid is fussy because of the, all the cortisol. Here's some tools, right? Mm -hmm. So we look at, so I, not to normalize like the experience that is really hard if you have a child with trauma in your home, um, which, you know, kids come to us with varying levels of that, but my own son, I didn't get to control many of those factors and they were good things. Like there were things I wanted in life, but that still impacted the way his brain was wired. So those are the risk factors we often look at in TBRI. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So will you explain a little bit how TBRI set, is set apart from other methods of parenting? Other, um, I, And I also, I love that you called it grace parenting. Is that your term or did you learn that from somewhere else? No, I think, I mean, I've heard grace parenting and I don't know how other people apply it, but to me, yeah. to me, right? Like it's, this is why it's because I grew up knowing and believing that we were healed through relationship and that that's the model God gives us. But it wasn't, it, I didn't see that hope and healing play out, but that's what I love about TBRI is I've gotten to bring it into um, spaces where, where um, maybe faith wouldn't be invited in, but I've also gotten to offer it in the context of um, the Christian community and the adoption mm -hmm. community that's there. And I do think it's grace. I do think it's allowing someone understanding the need behind their behavior mm -hmm. and then accepting the person for who they are. So is that what you'd say? That's what sets it apart from other methods? Yes. And I think it's developmental. Um, so when my, my son was, my first son was born, um, the parenting in the communities that I was in was very much about the behavior and stopping the behavior, whether when he was born, it was crying, or whether when he was older, whatever that behavior was. Um, and then what I love about TBRI is it's developmental, it's responsive to those needs, mm -hmm. and it's really based on attachment. Yeah. And those are, those are important aspects of who we become. We know research yeah. shows us that those first three years are predictive of how we hold relationships unless we do some fierce work. So. That makes sense. So would you say that with, if you're coming to a child with the lens of TBRI, the kind of the first step, so to say, would be, let me identify this particular child's needs. Yes. And I think I like to look at it as um, puzzle pieces okay. and, and what are all the different puzzle pieces fitting together to make this picture of who who this child is. So if this child has had a great attachment experience in those first few years, um, then, then that provides us a different foundation than, than the pieces of dealing with that attachment style. Um, and then looking at the empowerment, like what are, what are, is, is this kiddo who's experienced, uh, I, I'm talking, so I'm going to always talk about the kid who's experienced trauma because those are the families who I, get to work with but the you know the kids who I families I work with um, we know that kids who have trauma in their background often have a bigger area of their brain that's 
grown to fight, flight, and freeze because they've worked that part of their brain so much. So um, looking at those internal factors and external factors, food, right? Um, kids who haven't had food are tend to be food hoarders. Now, if we're going to just eliminate the behavior of, of candy wrappers tucked under the mattress, that's one thing, but that's not actually dealing with the need behind the behavior, which is this deep-seated need of I need to survive and so I'm going to hide food all over, right? Um, so it's, it's really unpacking those different puzzle pieces and saying, what is, what's going on here? And with each behavior, what's the need here of, um, of the child? Yeah, that's that really sense. good. That's really that, good. Um, that, that speaks so much of like, like you just said, eliminating the be- behavior versus actually identifying the need. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like, honestly, every time I hear anyone talk about TBRI, I think about how this is really just relationship and parenting in general. Yes. Like, you know, and you say this to everyone. I'm like, yes, of course, there's more intentional, in-depth um, need with an at-risk child that's gone through, uh, you know, deeper levels of trauma. Right. But I, you're saying all these things, and I'm thinking, oh, I would do this with a child that we're about the, the two children that are in my belly. Yes. Right I want to incorporate yeah, empowerment, yeah. connection, of course. You know, those right. are crucial things. <laughs> yeah. And so um, that's, that's really amazing how this really is just p- trust-based parenting, really. It should, mm-hmm. you know. Well, and I would say the relational part is, is, you know, when we teach about correction, we talk about one of the yes. lowest responses being playfulness and reduce, right? Yeah. And wouldn't it be good in every relationship when I sass off to lose it with my husband that I got a redo? Oh, that was right? like, like <laughs> if now if, I always say that these are like really wise principles, but I also say like, it's never wise to turn around to your spouse and say, would you like a, you do like that part isn't wise, but you know, like, the know principles. <laughs> I can think in the last 24 hours, how many redos I needed. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. So anyways, I think they are relational um, principles and truths. Yeah. You know, and that was one of the biggest takeaways. I remember when learning from um, Purvis in um, The Connected Child when we were prepping for adoption, that was the biggest thing I learned about were redos and saying, okay, can you show me how we do this again? Show me how we listen, you know, show me how we drink our water, show me how we share. Um, And then even doing, incorporating things like, okay, we're going to do a time in. Like we get a lot of questions on our social media about um, consequences, about Punish, you know, punishment or how do you handle these different things and, um, you know, incorporating the TBRI method. It's kind of funny now I wouldn't have called it that now and we have a term for it, you know, after studying these different books that we've read, but, um, it really is just incorporating grace and giving opportunities for redos, um, you know, and just really, you know, like you just said, getting down to the, the need, what is the need? Why did they do that? And how can we, okay. So they put all the rice in their pockets the need is <laughs> hunger. The need is that they want to be satisfied. So how can we meet that and build that connection so there's that trust? Uh, and then all of a sudden, years later, you see all the hard work of connection and empowerment and consequences. And then you have a child that is confident and secure in your relationships and other relationships. And it's beautiful. It takes a long time too, though, right? Like and, behavior modification might have quick results at times, but but <laughs> but TBRI does take it is a lifelong relationship but parenting is longer than we're told at the beginning so that's okay yeah, that's right. <laughs> so 
let's let's take a couple of steps back in um let's say evie and i are a couple who's getting ready to adopt okay we've never gone through it before and you know we're listening to this podcast and you're you know we're, we're hearing you talk about tbri and needs right and so mm-hmm. i'm thinking to myself like needs like what needs mm-hmm. like i don't even know what these children's needs might be or a child in general you know every child has needs what would you say specifically speaking to children that you've seen go through uh trauma or setbacks are, are there i get or i guess i should ask you like this are there any consistent needs that you see pop up um across the spectrum with with a child that's gone through you know maybe something more traumatic so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to the child, but here's what I would say yeah. is before someone adopts, I think the biggest need that needs to be addressed is actually the parents. Like understanding your own attachment and your own story and dealing fiercely with your junk Absolutely. is really important. Okay. And the, here's the scoop is that if you look at the way my grandmother's style of attachment and skip my mom, you can tell how I'm going to parent my kids unless I've done work because the style of relationship carries on generationally. And so unless I'm willing to look at my own stuff, I can't ask my kid to deal from their stuff. Right. And so what is it that when a child speaks disrespectfully that my muscles all tighten up? Like, what is it about that that makes me react? So I think resources like, um, making sense of your worth or how we love or um, the TBRI uh, attachment information. And there's a lot of videos on YouTube. Um, the Show Hope Conference, it was previously called Empowered to Connect Conference. And there's a lot of YouTube. Um, the Karen Purvis Institute channel also has a lot of resources. So I think diving into that idea of attachment and how we love is a great um, faith-based um, resource. Yes. But making sense of your worth is a is a also a curriculum that people can work through that um, is is great for working working through our own thing. And you know, it's really becoming aware, and that's a long process too. But right. that piece of dealing with attachment allows me to better attach to my child, right? And allows me to dive into that and be able to see the needs and be aware. Because when I can have compassion on myself, I can have compassion on their story. Right. You can't lead others where you haven't gone, right? Yes. Yes. That's a great way of saying it. So that is one piece um, I say with the parents is is dealing with that attachment and your attachment style and diving into that work. But then I think reading resources like the connected child or the connected parenting that um, provide this kind of TBRI framework that you mentioned, Evie, and um, that those are great resources. Um, so, and then uh, something new that I'm, I'm providing is the safe and sound protocol. And I think that that's going to be useful for parents to calm their own nervous system when they're in the game and things are tough, um, and calm their own body and tell their body, there is no bear in the room (laughs) when they're living. Like there's one too. (laughs) Yeah, that's so good. Okay. So that's really good. So first step, first things first, you got to deal with yourself you got to do some you know emotional labor some spiritual labor some deep work and you know on you know both parents need to do this now once yes you know both parents have arrived there and again you know we're thinking about the child's needs 
what what are you know some of those needs maybe you've seen uh just specifically a few examples to just kind of think about so i well boy there's just such a spectrum and and the food one right that's a common common behavior we see that kids hide rice in their pockets (laughs) right that they hide food and and store it and um understanding that that's a response to i didn't have enough Right. And I didn't get it. And so understanding that um, some parents might provide a little fanny pack with snacks or a snack area in the pantry that is, you can have these kinds of snacks at this time kind of thing. And, and another, another way that builds connection with the snack thing is to have a yes jar and be able to say anything in this jar is good if you give me eye contact and ask for it. Yeah. Right. And then, and then you're connect, doing the connection, you're saying yes and building connection that way, but you're meeting a big need and giving them voice and training them in that. So I like to just look at all the behaviors and like, think how can we weave connection and helping them understand their own needs and giving them voice. Um, some other common behaviors. Well, one that really gets parents is lying. That's yes. often a, yes. <laughs> particularly <laughs> families in, in a church, that'll, yeah, that'll please, take them down. Do. <laughs> tell us what to do, Michelle. Uh, like, if I remember the age of your kids, it's developmentally appropriate. So right. rest yeah. there. <laughs> One is six, you know, so yeah, it's right yeah. It, yeah. yeah, so it's appropriate that, that you know, that we okay. don't have it. You know, on the, um, oh, I'm trying to remember if it's show hope or empowered to connect you. YouTube channel, but I think it's show hope is that Jamie Lee has a has a video online and it's really helpful. Um, and that she kind of she kind of steps people through lying. But you know, I think really saying two, there's two approaches. Is one is wow, that's a beautiful story you're telling to me, and go along with naming it a story so they help learn developmentally that there's stories and not stories, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like that there was a tiger on the playground and you know, that kind of yeah. thing. <laughs> um, did they steal cookies? That's not a story, right? Like the mm. crumbs are usually on their face, their hands in the cookie jar. It's obvious and they're telling you no, that that's like not tall tale, that's lying. Right. Um, but if we look at, I always think it's good to look at ourselves and other adults. Like if we look at why people lie, they lie because they're scared. Mm-hmm. They tell a white, I'm afraid to tell you, I actually don't like your shirt. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't see you, but <laughs> yeah. right? like, <laughs> we, like, I'm afraid to tell you that. And I'm afraid of what the consequences will be. So maybe right. I'll just say a white lie. Well, that's the same reason kids are responding the way they are in those other lies. So um, naming it and, you know, there's cookies on your face and, and boy, kids, you know, sometimes people who, don't tell the truth are really scared. Mm-hmm. You need to ask for cookies and then walking away, like don't engage it right then because they're in that fight and flight mode. You've just caught them. It's, you can't solve the problem in the middle of the heightened response, right? And yeah. then coming back later and saying, you know, that made me sad that when you lie, I'm not going anywhere. Mm. that's a really different response than what we're trained to do for lying so yeah i mean honestly but we we don't have power over it anyways right right (laughs) we try looking at each other we're like oh conviction totally because (laughs) when you say that like the phrase you can't deal with it in the moment where everything's heightened i think i'm the you know the the number one contributor to trying to deal with things like in the moment 
because like, they have to remember the I, weight of what they just did. That's what well, we justify. Yeah, so yeah, some of that, and then also, you know, you know, just being a normal human who has things to do and <laughs> has to work in these things. Sometimes it's like this efficiency default mode that I go to. Yeah. Now, there's times where I do come back, you know, and and deal with it later. But I find myself, you know, sometimes trying to deal with it in the moment. And I that's mm-hmm. such a great way of phrasing it the way you mm-hmm. phrased it is they're already in flight or sorry fight or flight and so it's not like it's really hitting home mm-hmm. when you're talking mm-hmm. so okay. anyways thank you for bringing that up yeah. so i have a question um you know this this episode is going in correlation to the adoption fears pdf and the main kind of things that we're bringing you on here for is that a lot of people adopting have this fear of um you know attachment issues behavioral issues um, and so for you, you know, you have experience with international, you have experience with foster care, but what would you say, um, you know, it's a little bit easier, obviously, for the flesh to be a little more gracious and patient with a four-year-old or a, you know, mm-hmm. 11-month-old. And I know we often assume that there's less trauma if they come into our home earlier. And I know that that's a false stigma. That's not at all true. But let's just take the conversation for the sake of somebody that says, hey, I'm really nervous to adopt, but I feel like I'm being called to adopt foster older kids um, and then you're going to instantly associate that with behavioral challenges and attitude and you know that kind of trauma how do you feel like these types of similar like the risks and uh, identifying these needs how are you able to address the tbri method with an older adoption you know like does it look much different i guess is my question no so a few things come to mind one is um just to address it yeah they might be coming into your home with those (laughs) like we can expect that big things big hurts have happened Mm -hmm. and so we can expect that big behaviors might happen so the first thing is that if there's a spouse or someone co-parenting with you that that is that you're on the same page that you're working on the same um model of parenting i think that that's um really important. I think that when we look at trauma, we often say, okay, let's, the emotional age of that kiddo will probably be half. Mm -hmm. So um, when we talk about a nine-year-old, expect four-year-old behaviors. Mm -hmm. That helps us because you just said you could tolerate a four-year-old better, right? Like those kind of naughty lying behaviors, but it's hard in a nine-year-old. But if we can say, okay, they might have the street smarts of a 16-year-old, the emotional capacity of a four and a half-year-old, they might be cognitively a seven-year-old and they look like they're nine and everyone's treating them like that that's a really different picture right so and i also think it is hard part of that response we talked about a few minutes ago with the line is it is really hard not to take our children's behavior personally yes right go there michelle so right so so when they lie we're in my head the story i'm telling myself is oh my gosh i failed they're yes, doomed. Totally. And, and that, you know what, that's how I parented my son when he's born is like, as if my first time parenting, right. <laughs> he was doomed because he was crying and I couldn't get him to sleep. Totally. And then I had a second, I'm like, wait a minute, this is him, how he's wired. This isn't me. Yes. <laughs> and the third, we got even, you know, more laid back. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. So Anyway, so that story, we have to listen to that story in our heads. Like, what is the story I'm saying about myself and the situation? Because right. that may be playing into whether I can handle this emotional 
emotionally challenging child. So mm-hmm. Would it be fair to say, rather than thinking to yourself like, oh, they're being disrespectful, maybe the narrative could be, oh, it looks like they're still working through, you know, some X, Y, Z, yeah, whatever it is. Like, yeah. how would you change that narrative? Well, I do think that and understanding, having compassion for the reason that that's happening, that they're surviving and they're challenging you because they've been in charge their whole life, right? Mm-hmm. right. Um, keep going back to that nine-year-old who's been in a home. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, that's a really different story than a child who has the foundation of relationship mm-hmm. um, and connection. And mm-hmm. so I think changing that narrative comes with having compassion for the child and for yourself that it's parenting is hard work regardless yeah. of regardless of the kiddo and yeah it takes everything we have and it takes uh special needs is essentially what i think of this as right like their extra needs yeah. takes more yeah that's really good so um so for somebody considering adoption and they have a huge fear Somebody was listening to this and they're like, okay, Evie and Zach and Michelle, yes, I feel called to adopt, but I am terrified of the amount of work it's going to take to um, raise a child that comes from trauma. What would you say to that parent? Um, I think, well, the good thing is usually adoption doesn't happen really fast. So that's good. <laughs> you have time. time. <laughs> Unless you're going to foster and they'll put the kids in your home really quick. Right. Um <laughs> But um, I think that the willingness to be on the same page with the with with your spouse and the uh, not willingness the work it takes to be on the same page as your spouse and then um, build resources build a community who when you call and say I can't make dinner tonight that you know someone who can bring you dinner yeah right uh, that you can say um, I need to go to Fred Meyer because they have places where you can grocery shop and wander around aimlessly, that you have someone who can take care of your kids, right? For the whole hour and a half it takes. Mm. Even if you need no groceries, but it gives you a place to do a lot of different wandering. Yes. <laughs> um, but I, you, that community that's gonna support you and is willing to learn what it's like to parent with trauma, right? Because you don't wanna send one of, one of the extended family who doesn't um, understand what's going on, um, giving, putting resources in their hands as well so that you have that support in those, those times because you need to be ready to take care of yourself because we need, that's the first line of defense for parenting kiddos. Yeah. That's really good. So let's, let's keep talking about that. We're talking about parenting. We're talking about parents and obviously that's, within the uh, ecosystem of adoption, that's really where you focus, right? Is, is on the parents. Yes. And giving training um, for my work, I love to provide the caregiver training from TBRI. And then I try and customize it. So like parents have a lot of experience in the attachment work that, you know, we look at some of the other pieces, but um, in doing that, also coaching them along and helping them understand, okay, last night at the dinner table, X, Y, and Z happened and, you know, they refused to eat. We had no, no eating. And yet at dinner bedtime, they're crying. And I told them, well, that was tough. And so now what do I do? Right. And like talking through like, that's, that scenario isn't like too uncommon. Um, 
but talking through parents, okay, let's think what the need was behind the behavior, spaghetti, they hate slimy food, and, you know, just going through those different things and yeah. helping parents gain an understanding, and then how can we do it differently? I think the best thing we have as parents to give our kids is growth. Yes. Right? Like, that's the best we can do. We're going to mess up. We're humans. Yeah, that's good. So, okay. so um, when I think about just like looking from the outside in and, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who doesn't know anything about the adoption community, about adopting and just kind of is just coming on my radar. Really, probably the last thing I'm thinking about is that I need to work on myself. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Before yeah. I go adopt, right? So I love, first of all, I love that you focus yes. on the parents yes. because I would say that it's equally as big of a need to, you know, if not maybe bigger to be focusing on yourself before you adopt rather than, you know, just on, you know, this mm -hmm. child that's coming into the home. How did you uncover that, you know, um, I guess, how did you stumble upon the discovery of, okay, hey, it's actually the parents that also need a lot of, a lot of help here, a lot of coaching. What, what was that journey like for you? So I think it's just my own journey of helping people and trying hard to say, how am I like them and what do I need to work on? Like, like that lying example, like why do people lie? Because they're scared and having compassion on that. And when there are times I'm scared that I might do something, right? And so I think in my digging into my own things and in the, and becoming a TBRI educator, they really make you dig into your own attachment and your own where where are places where you have holes or you need to do some fierce work if you're going to help people. And so that journey over the last ten years of digging into that has been important. And so um, you know, and then just seeing how TBRI impacted my typical kids um, who were not adopted and how. Um, having to look at my own stuff and, and just average parenting. Cause you know what, we get a lot more margin typically and parenting when you don't have a kid from a hard place. But um, when you begin to look at just the way human nature is then in parenting and you don't get to just parent for the behaviors, um, then, then you have to look at your own stuff too. Of yeah. Why did I just yell? Right. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. Yes. That's so good. Michelle. Oh, okay. Well, thank you so much, Michelle, for just lavishing all of your knowledge. Um, no, before you. we wrap up, can you tell us um, specifically where can we find you? You mentioned your website, maybe mention that again, and then um, kind of like your expertise and what you, your like services that you offer. So in case someone's listening to this, maybe they've already adopted or maybe they're prepping to adopt and they can reach out to you for your expertise. Sure. Um, Hopeful Connections Parenting and um, you can reach me at michelle at hopeparenting.com and my website is hopeparenting.com. Um, I provide TBRI caregiver training, parenting coach, and then safe and sound protocol I mentioned as well. And you can learn more about that on my, my website. That's awesome. Parenting coach. Come on. That. <laughs> that's a need. That is so special. I feel yeah. like that's like the ultimate badge of honor. For real. Uh, goodness, thanks. Oh, yeah. well, thank you so thank much. Thank you so Michelle. much, Michelle. We are that's so fun. grateful. And everyone, make sure you go to her website, get all of her information. And um, if you have any questions in response to this specific episode, 
about attachment or about uh, TBRI. And like she said, give her an email, ask her questions, and she will get with you. Thank you guys so much.